0: Ah, hello, it's you again. Always a pleasure to share your company. Welcome back to the gallery of curiosities i remain as always your humble host all's good i've arranged for a surprise today you recall the trouble we've been having here at the gallery since that summoning instance following the holidays well mr lee who runs a martial arts school across the street offered to send his lion dancers over to help chase off the last of it most generous of him. So, if you will just steady this ladder for me, I will hang the firecrackers over the lintel. There. That's got it. Let's hope this dispels the last of those eldritch beasties. This evening's exhibit comes from Ms. Holly Schofield, who travels through time at the rate of one second per second. She oscillates between the alternate realities of city and country life, and her stories have appeared in Analog, Lightspeed, Escape Pod, and many other publications throughout the world. You can find her at hollyschofield.wordpress.com. It will be read for us this evening by Mr. Wolf Moon.
1: East Wind in Carroll Street by Holly Schofield Wong Sheen pulled down on a lever scraping his elbow against the metal framework within the clockwork lion. The lion obediently approached Margie where she stood in his family courtyard. Over and over he made the lion step forward then retreat, keeping a light hand on the crucial levers. When Margie shot a guilty look over her shoulder at the brothel behind her, Sheen copied her glance awkwardly peering upwards through the screening above the lion's broad nose. Margie's aunt was not at the second-story window. (sighs) He let out his breath. Fully four years older, he felt responsible that they not be seen together. Practice time was so short, so he gave all his attention back to the controls, completing the sequence of dance steps, As focused as if he were performing a traditional Chinese lion dance in front of his father's business associates, rather than for the amusement of a 10 year old white girl. From his cramped spot behind the lion's eyes, he twisted a bamboo rod, snapping the lion's mouth open and closed, imagining the traditional drum beats. As cables tightened, a pulley triggered another line attached to the puffy silk balls mounted on the lion's papier-mâché face. He let the silk decorations waggle a bit. Then he pressed the ceramic spring-loaded button next to his knees, sending the clockwork lion's gears ratcheting noisily. As he pumped his legs in the iron stirrups, the lion's front feet followed suit, dancing a complex jig. Dust billowed up between the gaps in the stirrups, making him cough. He pranced again toward Margie, his knees reaching up around his ears. "'Go away, Margie! Go away!' he called out, laughing. Margie giggled and twirled out of his way. "'You mean run away, or flee!' she called back, eager to improve his English as always. He chased her across the unkempt courtyard, picturing the layers of colorful cotton swaying behind him. This morning's improvements meant the Lion's Iron Framework was now the length of a large horse, fully a dozen, say, long. There was nothing like the clockwork line in the city of Vancouver's Chinatown, nor in British Columbia, nor perhaps in all of the Dominion of Canada, despite it being a complete sham. Tomorrow, across Carroll Street at Tech Wu's new bakery, the drummers would play. At first slow beats, then becoming gradually faster and faster. The crowds would yell encouragement, and as the excitement grew and the lion danced, Sheen would snatch the all-important red envelope of money through the massive lion jaws. And no one would know that it wasn't a true clockwork lion. Shadows crept up the brick wall of his father's grocery store, as the afternoon wore on. A dial on the lion's interior panel indicated that the clockwork's energy coil was almost spent. Sheen's arms and legs began to ache from the repeated motions in the confined space. As he sashayed one more time across the yard toward Margie, making the ears wiggle and the beard shimmy, she looked past him toward the grocery and her eyes grew wide with fear. He stopped in confusion, just as his father's voice rang out. Sheen, Sheen, next show what? Sheen laboriously turned the line fully around to face his father, hoping the cotton-clad framework would shield Margie's escape. She would need time to climb the fence, and his father blocked the only front exit that led between brick buildings out to Carroll Street. I'm sorry, father. Why are you practicing out here? The neighbors must not see. His father's village-accented Cantonese harshened in displeasure. Sorry, Baba. The workshop floor is not big enough anymore for the full routine. Sheen let the lion's knees sag, relieved that Baba hadn't caught sight of Margie. His father was simply worried that the clockwork lion would be seen by the neighbors. No one in Chinatown, aside from Sheen and his father, knew that the boy steered the lion from within. In the two years since the line had been completed, Sheen's father had convinced the Chinatown Businessmen's Association that the line was truly clockwork run. The scale and complexity of such clockwork had been attempted without success since the start of the Qing dynasty and his father had quickly grown famous. If the businessmen knew that this line was controlled by a boy pulling levers, they would not pay the $10 fee for an opening good fortune ceremony. Instead, they would hire Li Chan and his brawny son to provide the $2 man-powered version. Since you are already out here, practice the lettuce retrieval ceremony. Grab that maple leaf up there. Shin's father pointed at the woodshed roof, cluttered with twigs and debris. Balance your front legs on the old chicken coop. Yes, Baba. Sheen steered the line to the dilapidated wooden structure that hugged the woodshed. They hadn't had chickens since Mama had died during childbirth seven years ago. Now, thistles filled the coop spilling out the top and sides through wire mesh. Sheen pressed a lever to raise the lion's left foot onto the top corner of the rickety structure, praying to the earth god Dai Ba Gung that the chicken coop could withstand both the lion's and his weight. He knew he'd grown taller since Baba had designed the lion head when he was twelve. He was now up to Margie's shoulder and he must have put on a few gadis of weight, too. He almost blurted out that this stunt would be more difficult than placing the lion's front legs on two pre-positioned barrels as he would tomorrow. But he bit the words back. Baba would know all that and have factored the risk, like men did. If it was fated to collapse, it would. Sheen clamped his mouth shut, even as the huge lion foot made the top board creak. If he didn't attempt difficult things, Baba would never call him Ashin and treat him like the adult he was. He eased his weight forward, the energy coil unwinding with a squeal. An indicator on the left panel said he had about ten fun of energy left, just enough to make the lion grab the large green leaf and drop down to kneel in front of Baba. Baba. The chicken coop creaked again. Thistles rustled. Sheen looked down between his leg stirrups. A wisp of blonde hair was caught among the thistles. More rustling! And blue eyes peered up at him. Hurry up! Baba's voice came from behind, near the grocery's rear door. His father must have stepped back, most likely expecting Sheen to fail and fall. He hadn't seen Margie. In the chicken coop, Margie's eyes filled with tears. The lion weighed as much as three men. If the chicken coop couldn't support its weight, it would surely crush her, just as being born had crushed his little sister. The baby that was to be Sheen's little sister had only lived a few days, not long enough to name. Should he tell Baba that Margie was in the coop and save her life? She could run home. He glanced upward at the building behind. A woman with a mound of hair on her head stood at the brothel window, scanning the alleyway. His father would thrash him with a bamboo stick if he knew about Sheen's friendship with Margie, but that was nothing compared to the beating Margie's aunt would give her for associating with filthy heathens such as himself. Perhaps he could pretend to roll to one side, as if he wasn't in control. Surely the lion made with his father's sturdy workmanship could handle such a fall? But Sheen would bring shame to his ancestors if the controls got smashed and were unable to function for tomorrow's ceremony. Sheen balanced on the left leg for so long, his thigh muscle trembled. He heard his father hawk and spit on the ground in disgust at Sheen's delay. He couldn't crush Margie. He couldn't. Perhaps he could fall to the left, very slowly and gently, controlling the lion's iron spine. He raised the lion's right foot and placed it close, deliberately too close to the left foot. He slowly eased the main lever upwards, arching the lion's spine, placing the center of gravity... Slightly over the paws. Too much. The lion overbalanced and crashed forward. Sheen quickly threw his body leftward. His head hit iron bars and the lion hit the ground. He closed his eyes until the dozens of sewn-on bells stopped jingling. It was almost a relief when Baba, still swearing, opened the neck hinges so he could scramble out onto the dirt of the courtyard. The left side of the chicken coop was smashed to bits, loose boards dangling at all angles. Snap cables littered the ground near the lion. The giant head was crushed and broken in several places. The far end of the chicken coop appeared undamaged, but it was hard to tell. He listened for the rustle of thistles as he helped Baba carry the broken pieces into the grocery-cum workshop, but heard only the inauspicious caw of a crow. He gave a final look back, the lion's bright, horsehair tail dragging in the dust behind him, but there was nothing to be seen. After a meal of rice and dried salmon, accompanied by unsellable black edged greens, Sheen crouched on the floor of the workroom. The lion head lay on a workbench, and his father hunched over it cursing loudly and slamming various hand tools around. The bakery opening would happen at first light. The almanac had been consulted, and it was an auspicious day. The ceremony could not be delayed. Sheen's offers to help were ignored, so he did his evening shop chores, including winding the springs and the little shop heaters needed to ward off the springtime chill. Sheen's failure to do his duty to the family drum through his head, even as he took pride that his fingers no longer bled during the endless turning of the tiny keys. Small gadgets, like the heaters, could be human-wound, unlike larger coils that required teams of men trotting in circles, or oxen, like the white men used. The lion's clockworks were powered by a mid-sized coil, and Baba had arranged delivery of a new pre-wound one, at sunrise, the fee, a fifty-cent coin, gleamed under the oil lantern by the door. Sheen tinkered for a while with a clockwork monkey he had been working on for Margie. Over a period of months, he had taken apart an old tofu maker and reassembled the sprockets and gears. He had shaped the framework from cedar rather than the more traditional and more expensive bamboo. Daringly, he had traveled six blocks, his first foray outside Chinatown, giving his spring festival money to a dark-skinned Indian down by the stockade in exchange for a raw beaver pelt. After soaking the skin in an oak stump, he had softened it to a felt-like material that he thought might resemble monkey fur. He had crafted robes and a headband from scraps of Mama's dress that Baba had been using as a window covering. The shade of yellow matched the cover of Sheen's Proudest Possession, a book of tales about the Monkey King's many journeys. The rebuilt clockwork mechanism functioned well enough to make the monkey wave its hand. However, Sheen wanted to do better. He took a used wax cylinder, its grooves blurred by overuse, and began to cut new and intricate lines with his pocket knife. The day that Margie had shown him the white man's wax cylinders had changed his life. She had snuck him into the whorehouse's laundry room to show him the shoe polishing machine, thinking he would be impressed. Sheen had opened the machine's repair hatch and been appalled at the white man's crude and clumsy clockworks. "'Like a beast would expel!' he had told her. But he had been fascinated with what had conveyed the wondrously precise instructions to the poorly engineered clockworks. Wax cylinders. Each grooved with a thousand tiny lines. Even the richest Chinese didn't have such marvels. When Margie had given him dozens of spent cylinders, he had clapped his hands in glee. He put down the knife, and opened a page in his second proudest possession, a programming manual that Margie had stolen for him last month. He had been explaining to her that the last new moon was the beginning of the year of the monkey, and later that day she had brought him a slice of bread dripping with salt pork fat. She had some concept of birthing day anniversary gifts that made no sense to him. He had politely eaten the bread. Baba had told him many times that the diseases white men got by drinking unboiled water and eating uncooked greens were many and complex, challenging even for Chinatown doctors and pharmacists. Sheen had carefully watched his bowels for days, but there appeared to be no ill effect from the treat. He flipped a page in the book, looking for a certain coding sequence would help the monkey move its tail in synchronization with its hands. Margie's aunt had boxed her ears soundly for the book theft, but then covered for her, telling the irate customer it had been taken by one of the maids. Margie had spent hours teaching English numbers and coding symbols to Sheen, as well as all the algebra and geometry she learned in the school for white children. In return, He had patiently drawn diagrams of simple clockworks on scraps of butcher paper, explaining them in his broken English, sitting cross-legged beside her in their favorite spot atop the green grocery roof. He tossed the monkey aside, not in the mood to work on it, when all of his dreams were being dashed by his foolish actions. He watched Baba grapple with the broken lion as fresh waves of shame washed over him. Over the past few months, the yin and yang synergy of elegant Chinese clockworks and white men's wax cylinders had filled his thoughts. Ideas had poured out of him faster than he could form the English words to tell Margie. How wax cylinders could perhaps someday be used to guide abacus beads, making giant calculating machines. When he was old enough to run Baba's Green Grocery, he would investigate such things in the evenings, like men did, much as Baba tinkered nowadays with clockworks. Come! Baba pointed at the bicycle in the corner. Sheen squeezed between crates of carrots and gear parts and mounted the bike. The length from the seat to the pedals had become too short for him. With a strong push, he started the pedals turning Then settled into a fast, even pace. In front of him, the lengthy bike chain spun and the friction welder started up. His father grasped an iron rod with bamboo tongs and pressed it in the collar of the welder. He touched the lower end of the rod to an interior brace of the lion head, which lay wedged in a vise below. As Sheen kept up a furious pace, the rod began turning fast enough to blur. It would take a long while to heat enough to form a proper weld. He let his thoughts drift. There was no point in buying Margie, Bao, or other pastries for her birth celebration whenever it might occur. Her calendar was too strange to have much meaning. Plus, she had smilingly refused every piece of food he had ever offered her. The thought of food made his stomach growl empty again. As acrid smoke swirled around him, he imagined the wonderful contents of Tech Wu's market cart, soon to be a full-fledged bakery in a new, finely styled brick building across the street. Businesses were springing up every day. White men might refuse to hire Chinese for even the worst jobs at Rogers' sugar mill but that would not break the businessmen's spirits. The community would build their own new China here in the Dominion of Canada. Steady, Shin Shin," Baba said as the end of the rod began to glow a cheery red. By the time the sun had set and the automated oil lanterns clicked on, the many necessary welds were completed. Xin stepped down and dried his sweat on his too-short jacket sleeve. His stomach rumbled again. The store's income was not enough to live on. Without the lion ceremony earnings, they would be hungry next winter, like they had been before Baba had built the wonderful mechanism. Coming to the Golden Mountain was to be a new start for the Wong family. Baba had come first, earning money laboring in the fields on the mainland to the east, paying off his head tax and landing fees. Years later, Mama had left her small village and traveled in what she had called, in fear and boredom, along with several other women in a large, stinking ship. Both had worked hard at the greengrocer business, as Baby Sheen played on the store's splintery wood floor, amid clucking chickens and broccoli stems. His first toy had been a broken abacus. His second was a broken automated walkster. He had first turned into a toy warrior, then a stick-like doll for Margie. Margie's story was similar. Her mother had come from a mountainous place over the ocean to the east, where people slid on snow with boards tied on their feet. Margie wanted to be an architect. Designing buildings like the new brick Dryard hotel, where fine ladies drank tea. Meanwhile, she did kitchen duty at the brothel, saving up customers' tips for an architecture mail-order course from the Simpsons' catalog. Once, she had shown Sheen a paint set a customer had given her. She had swirled powders together, yellow and blue. That's like you and me. Together we can make the dominion of Canada better than either of the two alone. Sheen had answered in a stumbling English that Canada was more like the many colors of vegetable fried noodles, a mixture of everything but a blend of nothing. Come, try this. Baba's wiry body swung the lion head to the floor not bothering with the hoist. Together they reattached the long body to the head in the cramped space, laying the drooping middle over some barrel staves at the rear of the shop and looping the legs and back feet toward the head by the big door at the front. Sheen swung his short cue over his shoulder to his front as he examined the rebuilt lion. It would be a tight fit. Baba had reinforced the head with more cross-supports, threading iron rods past the leg braces to the back of the head. Sheen hastily reattached the yellow cloth, sponging off the dirt from the yard and brushing out the red and gold horsehair fringes while his father repositioned cable housings every which way. Baba was a competent craftsman, Sheen suddenly realized, but his designs were less elegant than the sturdy oxen white men used. To wind coils, you, East Wind, get in. His father gave an impatient gesture, and Sheen got down on his knees beside the head. A second insight flooding into his head. His father's continual reference to the famous battle in China, that depended on a late arriving East Wind, a wind crucial to the success of the fire ships being sailed toward the enemy was not a compliment to Sheen. Instead, his father was ashamed of their deception to the community and ashamed of the necessity of using Sheen to operate the lion. Sheen studied the stern line of his father's mouth. There was no time to dwell on the matter. Sheen bent his head so that Baba could lift the lion head over him. Bowing his head had not been necessary... Even three months ago, he must have grown a full tsun, a hand's breadth, since then. His wrists jutted out from his jacket as he helped lower the lion head over his own. A gasp, a grunt, and the head, now probably weighing as much as Baba himself, came down hard on his thighs, cutting off all light but for a faint glow through the nose-screen. One of the new iron rods crushed down on Sheen's knees. He shoved a leg out the side of the head and under the huge rear paw on the side, away from his father. He tucked his other foot under his buttocks, where it was useless to power the leg controls. Good. It works. In relief, Baba waggled one of the lion's silk balls the connected bamboo handle striking Sheen on the ear. Now get out! A short sleep is still possible! Sheen quickly tried various other positions as he clambered out from beneath, Baba holding the lion head aloft. In the poor light, Baba hadn't noticed Sheen's struggles, how his legs stuck out, how he had (sighs) failed. Sheen's mouth tasted like raw, bitter melon. He no longer fit inside the lion. A small part of him thrilled at the thought that Baba's shameful fraud could not continue. He pushed the thought away. The red envelope money would go unearned. He had let down Baba and all Wong ancestors, and Tek Wu's bakery would forever have bad luck. As his father climbed the narrow stairs heading to the sleeping mats, Sheen stayed huddled on the cold, dirt floor. (sighs) He didn't deserve to sleep tonight. The lion weaved and dodged, as graceful as bamboo in the wind. It danced closer to the barrels, surrounded by smiling, dark-jacketed men who nodded with delight. Lucky green onions tied to its horns waved merrily. The drummers intensified the beat, luring the lion closer and closer to the leafy green lettuce hanging over the bakery doorstep and the red envelope tied within. The lion approached, cocked its head at the lettuce, put a foot on a barrel, then stepped off again, turning its head to wink coquettishly at the crowd. A toddler emerged from between a man's legs and headed for the lion, probably attracted by the glittering metal discs sewn to the red and yellow layers of cloth. The lion continued to dance, oblivious, stepping forward and back in a tradition as old as gunpowder from his perch atop the green grocery roof. Sheen wrapped his arms around his bruised knees, the clay tiles cold under his thin slippers. Finally, a woman scuttled from between the men and grabbed the child's arm, dragging it back into the crowd. Sheen let out his breath. The monkey cylinder programming was set to a specific pattern. There was no altering it. For toddlers or anything else. He pictured the energy coil unwinding in the body of the lion, powering the mechanism, even as the monkey pushed and pulled levers and switches in an intricate pattern. Its hands and feet, even its tail, manipulating the lion in a dance more complex than a Chinese acrobatic display, all seven cylinders spinning madly. With wooden blocks tied to its feet, and a wire hook embedded in its tail, the monkey had fit inside the lion perfectly. He had used the yellow robes to tie it securely to the framework. That's charming, that is. Margie settled beside him on the roof, tucking her green skirts immodestly under her. Her right arm hung in a sling made from a paisley scarf, and a long scratch ran down one cheek. Therefore, no birth present for you, Sheen answered tensely, keeping his eyes on the lion. Margie giggled. I never understand you, even when I understand you. Here, I brought you a present because you saved me. Don't worry, I waited until dark yesterday. Then I told my aunt I fell from a tree. She shoved a pastry in his hand, ruby and gold in the morning sun. It's called rhubarb pie. Ro-ba-pie, Sheen repeated absently and bit into it. He hadn't had time for rice porridge this morning, and working hard all night had made his stomach hollow. Baked wheat flour and tart juice filled his mouth, sliding down as pleasantly as Tek Woo's sweet red bean jindong. The clockwork lion grabbed the lettuce in the final dance sequence as the drumbeats grew staccato. From his vantage point above, Sheen saw the small brown hand flash out and draw the red envelope inside the jaws. The crowd cheered, Baba, loudest of all. For the first time since he'd seen Margie hiding in the chicken coop, Sheen began to relax. Finished, the lion lumbered back across the street, the crowd parting way. A grinding noise drifted up as the grocery's large workroom door opened, its escapement mechanism perfectly timed. The lion marched steadily toward the grocery as the door rose higher and higher. Several saw before the workroom entrance. The lion turned sharply to the right, stepped up onto the wooden sidewalk and rammed face-first into the grocery's brick wall. Ah, Sheen! Ah, Sheen! Baba rushed toward the line as it made a horrid grinding noise and the front legs collapsed. On the roof above, Sheen bit down on his knuckles. Baba's use of Ah, Sheen, the adult form of his name, shone through the awfulness of the crash. Below his father prodded the ruins of the lion. He gave a start, then, just before the other men reached him, pulled off the yellow restraints and shoved the monkey beneath his jacket. He made calming gestures to the man and laughed with an open mouth. His words drifted upwards, assurances that the lion could be repaired. After all, he said, it was clockwork run and the best technology in all the continents. Sheen licked blood off his knuckles, careful of the large blister on his hand, a result of winding the monkey's coil for many fun last night. He felt his chest swell with pride. Combining the white man's cylinder technology with traditional clockwork meant that the shameful deception of the lion could stop. And equally importantly, his father saw him as a man. He looked out over the rooftops as a gentle rain started. In the distance, Chinatown's clay tiles blurred together with the white man's cedar shingles. He grinned at Margie and crammed the rest of the pastry in his mouth. Two countries, both east wind, he said around oily crumbs, and laughed when she shook her head in confusion.
0: Oh, well done. That should have chased away all the evil spirits for the rest of the year. Year of the Boar, if memory serves, very auspicious for business, I believe. With our ratings, we need all the luck we can get to keep the gallery open. At any rate, this evening's narrator, Wolf Moon, won the Scholastic Writing Awards as a teenager, and won second place in the Writers of the Future contest in 2018. He started his narration career at 3rd Flatiron, then stumbled upon us, and most recently became the podcast director for Future Science Fiction Digest, where we wish him much success. Well... Before you go on your way, may I remind you that we are having a special reading session during the month of June for manuscripts set during the Second World War. If it happens to still be June when you hear this, please send us a script so that we can give it a read-over. I do remind you, keep it in the speculative genre. You may find the submission guidelines at our website, gallerycurious.com. Good luck, and do come visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. curiosities is produced under creative commons international 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license all story copyrights remain with the authors our theme song as always is ashes ashes by deus ex ve machina if you like the show give us reviews and nominate us for awards and it will bring Good luck and good fortune upon yourself and all your friends. I assure you, I would never, ever pull your leg. This episode was produced in June of 2019, Year of the Earth Pig. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. I used to play tambourine in a band called Year of the Earth Pig. I'm sure that's just a coincidence.